You are listening to Letters to Cinema. What are you trying to do, burn us up? Are you afraid to burn, Michael? Are you afraid to die? I wouldn't want to die while you're alive, Miss Judith. You're making love to me, aren't you? You invited me to talk to you as a man, didn't you? Yes. I'm as good as some of them that's been playing around with you. They're all afraid of you. Oh, I know, I've heard them talking. They'd go after you, but they're afraid of you. I wish to heaven I wasn't their boots. What then, Michael? The nights I've laid awake thinking of you. The things I've wanted to say to you ever since I first laid eyes on you. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm going to be talking about the auteur theory and expand on the argument suggested by Graham Petrie in his article Alternatives to Auteurs where he wrestles with how can we attribute credit where it belongs or how can we know we're giving the credit to the person that is actually responsible for the visual style of the film. In other words, why do we give all the credit to the director when a film is made by many professionals from different departments? The first point from his essay I want to address is the idea that brings us to the question who is the genius or the master behind the film's cinematic look? We need to keep in mind that it is a question of responsibilities or duties of the professionals working in these films. And the solution he gives us is that a tour critics should change their approach to analyzing films. Now, how do we do this? He suggests that instead of examining the themes, we should start by looking at the formal aspects in the film and ask ourselves, how much was the director involved during the decision behind the framing camera movements, the choice of lens, lighting, sound design, makeup, editing style, and so on. The second point he gives us is how do we deal with not the personal style of the director, but the personal style of the cinematographer, the editor, the custom designer, the composer, the writer have achieved and built over the years. Patrice suggests that there are a few number of directors who do have a persistent look throughout their filmography despite the people who were involved during the production of the film. He places them in a category called the creators and the best example he gives us is Charlie Chaplin but to name others for example Griffith, Orson Welles, Keaton, Ford, Von Stenberg and Kubrick. In some way or another these types of directors choose their actors the cinematographer, they work closely on the script, on the editing, and eventually their cut will be the one to be exhibited in theaters. In other words, total control over the studio, over the producers. Getting back to my point of problematizing the personal style of the professionals involved in the film, Petrie raises an important problem, which is what he calls personality of the director, which for some it doesn't matter how small the director's contribution was to a specific decision, in the end we're all giving the entire credit for it. 
how do we calculate who did what and the impact it had over the entire film? I want to bring the example of the Mexican cinematographer Emanuel Lueski or Chivo in which, for example, when you watch Children of Man or Birdman, films made by different directors, you see his fingerprints, his cinematography in the films and not the directors. The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. Baby Diego was stabbed outside a bar in Buenos Aires after refusing to sign an autograph. Witnesses at the scene say that Diego spat in the face of a fan who asked for an autograph. He was killed in the ensuing brawl. The fan was later beaten to death by the angry crowd. Born in 2009, the son of Marcelo and Silvio Ricardo, a working-class couple from Mendoza, he struggled all his life with the celebrity status thrust upon him as the world's youngest person. Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet, was 18 years, 4 months, 20 days, 16 hours and 8 minutes old. The third point he raises is that by us giving our complete and full attention to the auteurs we're so in love with, we're actually ignoring films or filmmakers that have great potential, but we don't look at these films because some don't consider them to be of that status. He gives us the example of Edmund Golden's Dark Victory from 1939's Staring Betty Davis, and he argues that yes, there is no question you can identify the film was produced by a studio wrapped in a specific genre, but we may actually reach a level where we can appreciate a work beyond what he calls the director's personal vision and start to appreciate it through the stylistic features of the film. And the last point I want to address is the actor as the auteur of the film. He brings up the idea of when analyzing Betty Davis and her work on Irving Rapper's Now Voyeurs from 1942, he states that Betty Davis had much more power at Warner's at the time than most directors. And with this idea of the actress having power, I would like to raise the question, if the actress contribution is seen as the most important, where does that leave the director's vision? He tells us that it is overshadowed by the actor's physical presence on the screen and the film is of the actor and not the director. This relates to the point that we continue to watch these films because of for example, the eternal youthful presence of Ada Davis on the screen because she is the auteur of the film. In conclusion, the significance of this article to me and to our time is that there are other approaches aside from autourism and from now on we should look into impressive films that have been produced under a position where the director didn't play the main role and ask you know how and why this happened or in other words appreciate works that weren't made by those directors who are known for being 
Autors. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'll see you guys next week. And as always, keep watching and making films.